Let's start with a story. So uh, in the small, quiet town of Shelbyville, Missouri, a young man named Edward McKendry Bounds committed uh, himself to a life of prayer that would leave an indelible mark. E.M. Bounds was a dedicated pastor, an attorney, and chaplain during the Civil War. Uh, Yet he would be best remembered as a man whose life was marked by intense devotion to prayer. So rising before the break of dawn each morning, Bounds would fervently pray for three to four hours, seeking divine guidance, wisdom, and strength. This was not a mere ritual for him. Prayer was as necessary as the very air that he breathed. However, in the late 19th century, as the effects of the Civil War faded and the country began to heal, a different kind of war began. The Reconstruction era brought with it a wave of materialism and a drift from spiritual pursuits. Faith seemed to be on the decline, and his passionate appeals for a life of prayer seemed out of sync with his times. Even some of his own congregation, swayed by the spirit of the age, started to question his incessant focus on prayer. Why do you pray so much? They questioned him. Why not take more action? He was confronted with a dilemma. To conform to the sentiments of the time and appease the people, or persist in his conviction about the primacy of prayer. One Sunday, faced with dwindling attendance, the murmurs of his critics growing louder, Bounds got up to preach, and he looked at the crowd, his heart burdened, and the tension was palpable. Would he capitulate to the course of the world and the pressure from his own church? Let's pause the story there, and we'll conclude it at the end. It relates to our passage today. So we're in our series right now called The Real Jesus, and we're going through the Gospel of Mark, and we'll be in Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through 39 Today, it'll be on the screen in a minute, and we have Bibles in the pews, so use that if you want to follow along with that. If you don't have a Bible at home, take it with you. It's our gift to you. Um, What we must do in this series, what we're trying to do in this series, is look at the Jesus of Scripture, because that is the real Jesus. That's the Jesus who can set us free, who can satisfy our hearts, and who can heal our pain. So let's pray, and then let's read. Lord, we pray for your Spirit to come, and that we would continue to be transformed by the life, Lord, that you led on this earth 2,000 years ago. All that you came to accomplish, all that you came to show us, all that you came to do for us. Help us to see it and to understand it and to be changed and transformed by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's read here, verse 35. So continuing right along from last week, it says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark... He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. He's talking about Jesus, of course. Verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. 
And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is God's word. Now, Jesus uh, has really just started. He's just on the cusp of his public ministry here. And uh, like I said in previous weeks, we're going through this at a snail's pace. One of the things I've learned about Mark is there's a lot in the early, early opening chapters here. So we'll get to bigger chunks of it as we go through it. But the whole city, uh, last week we looked at this, the whole city showed up at Peter's house, bringing, bringing those who needed healing. And this is great, right? Because this is exactly what's supposed to be happening, right? The message is supposed to be spreading. People are supposed to be coming. And so the first thing Jesus must have done the next morning uh, to capitalize on this boost, this, this early success, the whole city coming out, people, then his fame spreading, the first thing he must have done would have been to reach for his Android phone and to see how viral his ministry success is going. Surely. To check his campaign numbers, you know, how many donations have we had? How's it all going? Um, of, course, of course, that's not what Jesus is thinking about or what he would do. His priorities are straight and also it's preposterous that he wouldn't have had an Android phone. He would have had an iPhone. So, thank you. Uh, <laughs> instead of getting uh, caught up in the approval of the people and the highs of becoming an instant celebrity, uh, you know, the son of God's on the, on the earth, although they wouldn't have known at that time, but the Messiah, somebody, the Messiah-type figure is on, on the earth. Instead of getting caught up with that and being recognized as an important person, instead, Jesus is so mature. He's so mature. He's got his priorities state, and he is driven by his true purpose not by other people's agendas. And there's so much that we have to learn from Jesus in this. Jesus gets up very early while it's still dark, and he goes out to this desolate place to pray. And honestly, some of us could learn to adult into early rising like Jesus and all the benefits that come from early rising. It's, I think it's quite Christ-like. Jesus seeks solitude from the people, and in contrast, he seeks communion with God. If there's one thing that Christians today that we need to learn, it's how to have a true friendship with God. If there's one thing that we need to learn, our generation needs to learn, it's how to have a true friendship with God. We've, we've forgotten what authentic relationships are like, especially a relationship with God. Because Christianity, I guess any religion can be this way, but Christianity can be very performative, can't it? It's an act. We put on an act. We're trying to impress everyone. Or we, we use God because we find God useful. God's useful to me. If, I have, if I'm a religious or I have certain habits or practices, that's useful. That helps something, that serves something else in my life rather than my life being about a friendship or relationship with God. Now, the word desolate here, going to a desolate place, is the same word that was used to describe Jesus going into the wilderness before. We looked at this uh, in previous weeks, that the, going into the wilderness or a desolate place is a symbolic act of going to a place of seeking God. That's where John was doing his baptisms. That's where they were taking place. That's a place of, that symbolizes spiritual renewal for people. And so in the midst of the whirlwind of life, in the midst of the demands and expectations of others, Jesus is resolved to seek the Father, to commune with the Father being connected to God in a relationship with God. That's his first, and that's our first task every day. Every day that's our first task, is drawing strength and comfort and help and intimacy directly from God. 
And this contrast, this tension that we sense, is do, do I wake up driven by the approval or opinion or agendas or purpose that other people try to put on me, or even I put on myself, or do I wake up and my day starts with my mind being set towards God and His purposes? This contrast can be referred to sometimes as the idea of, do we fear God or do we fear man? The fear of God versus the fear of man. Fearing God, biblically speaking, definitely means to be concerned about not displeasing a loving God and the, the loving consequences of going against God. It definitely means that, similar to the, the fear of being pulled over when you're speeding. Man, I love that new feature in Google that's come about where people are reporting. I'm always like, if I see a cop, I'm like, I'm going to pay it forward. <laughs> Send it back. Um, but that, ten, you know, hey, you know, we don't like the, fr- people in our generation don't understand the idea of fearing God. We're like, that sounds bad. Fear is bad, right? Uh, actually, some fear is good. And, um, but, you know, if somebody who is all, all good and all powerful and who holds people accountable, if we've done something wrong, we actually should be a little concerned. We should be a little concerned. Like God disciplines his children. Just like a loving parent who recognizes their child has done something horrible, and needs a consequence for it. They still love them. They're still going to take care of them. They're still, gonna, they're still in their family. They're not going to get rid of them. But, um, but hey, this child needs a consequence. That's fear. There's some fear in that. And that's actually a good thing. But there's also a positive aspect to fearing God as well, whereby we hold God in respectful reverence. There's an undertone to the idea of fearing God where we have respectful reverence. We honor God. So we're not just living with, oh, I might have a consequence for something that I've been wayward in, but actually, well, I've got a motivation that says, because God is so good, because he's my father, I want to please him. I want to revere him more than I revere anything else, because he's worthy of that, because he's so good. Fearing man, on the other hand, means we make decisions, and we live in such a way uh, where we're worried and we're driven by the opinions and the expectations of others. We don't want to be embarrassed, right? We don't want to be judged or shamed or rejected. We don't want people to think badly of us. We don't want to ruin our reputation somehow. And so these feelings that we have determine what we do and don't do and what we say and don't say. And when we fear man, it robs us of joy and of growing deeper with God. But when we fear God... We have an indescribable joy because there's nothing like communing with God. Jesus is first and foremost motivated by his relationship with the Father. And he is resolute. He is undeterred. He gets up early. And the way I get up, I'm not a morning person. The way I get up early is I use at least four alarm clocks every day. That's not a joke that's actually true. Um... Only one of them usually goes off, though. You have to, it's, it's a game you play, where you have to get to the other alarm clocks before they go off. That's the game. That's how I get, because I'm not a morning person, but that's how I get out of bed in the morning. Um, Jesus, he gets up early, and being alone with God was more important than the demands and the needs of the people around him. Now, of course, Jesus does extend himself outwards, of course he does. Of course he extends himself outwards. He, he does bless and care for those around him. But 
He does that because he is constantly extending himself upwards. He does extend outwards, but he does that because he's extending himself upwards. And the ability to pour out into human relationships comes from being poured into with a divine relationship. And this is Jesus' true superpower right here. This is his closeness with the Father. If we have to get away from people, if we can't manage people, if we struggle with intimacy and relationships, we struggle with all those things, it's because there's something, there's a big disconnect in my relationship with the Father, with receiving affirmation and connection with Him, life from Him. And the beautiful thing about reaching out to God and communing with God in prayer is that this is surprising to learn this. The wonderful thing about receiving from God is that God is a missionary. He has a heart for the outsider, for the other, for the one who doesn't fit in, the one who feels like they don't belong. So if you feel like you don't belong, you feel like you don't fit in, you're in the perfect place. Okay, Because the Father has a heart for the outsider. And so God was compelled by love to come into the world to save sinners. That's how much he loves the outsider. We, we are completely other to God because of our sinful, evil nature and God being pure and holy. But because of his great love, he's like, I'm willing to cross that divide as a missionary. God's the first missionary, true missionary. I'm willing to cross the greatest divide in order to seek you out, in order to seek out somebody who's so far away because of love, driven by love. And so when we commune with God, when we draw from God, when we touch the divine, we receive a heart of a missionary, a heart for the lost and the needy. And we receive, in that connection, we receive power for ministry. And so what we must do, what we have to do, is to seek God's face to know him. Because that's our place of greatest satisfaction. And that's the only thing that can change our perspectives of other people. But also... We've got, to, we've got to see this, that the outcome of communing with God is that we get God's heart for people. We don't approach God, and if we don't approach God with this understanding, then our expectations of knowing God are going to be all kind of messed up, right? Because we can tend to view God, God's useful, God's either necessary, I've got to get God off my back, so I've got to do a few religious -y things, or God's useful to me because it's therapeutic somehow, or it manages my anxiety, or we always tend to, we tend to want to use God for things. But if, we, if we're coming to God because it's just on our own selfish terms, not on his terms, we're going to be very disappointed because you've got to understand this, the closer you get to the God of the Bible, the bigger your heart grows for other people. And so if you meet people who claim to know God or don't have a big heart for other people, you know there's something wrong going on. Something, something, something wrong's going on there. Something, something not right there. Christian faith might sometimes be sold to us as just a kind of a, a cute special relationship that we have with God. And, and I, don't want, I don't want to take away from the fact that it is the most special relationship that we could ever have. Of course it is. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the idea that can be sold to us that, hey, we come to Jesus... And he just gives us warm, fuzzy feelings, right? It's like having a boyfriend or girlfriend. It's that, that kind of like new love addiction that people sometimes have. It's like sometimes Jesus, a relationship with Jesus can be sold to us like that. Um, but true Christian faith is to know this, that as I come to God, I come and I'm transformed by him. 
I begin to be changed at the most fundamental level of who I am, to think like him, to feel like him, to act like him, and to care about what he cares about. I, and in that interaction with God, I receive love and grace for other people. I'm receiving an identity from God, and God is a missionary. He's a loving God, an eternally loving God. And so if I'm going to get close to him and understand him, then well, I'm going to be transformed with how I relate to other people. But we've got to understand, it doesn't start there for us, right? That's the work of God. We don't, that's the work he does. We, we come to God, God says, come to me with your needs, come. You know, we come in, oftentimes in our own selfishness and self-centeredness. God's okay with that. But we've got to learn to come starting with that friendship. And we must know that he will pour into us so that he can pour out of us. We must know that, that he will pour into us so that he can pour out of us. E.M. Bounds, the guy we started off with, he famous quote, he says this, he's talking uh, to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. So how do we learn to pray like Jesus? Well, this is the age-old question. The disciples, they were curious. Like Jesus is always going off to pray, not driven by the crowd's approval or opinion. So the disciples asked Jesus, how, how do we pray? And from that question, that's why we're given the Lord's Prayer, right? And we should definitely use the Lord's Prayer. Um, I've been actually trying to build a habit in my life. It's not going great because my brain doesn't work uh, very early in the morning very well. But the habit I've been trying to do is I've been trying to train myself to... The first thing I do when I wake up in the morning to pray the Lord's Prayer. And um, it's, I've been semi-successful at doing it. But that, that's, that's, so it's, it's a work in progress. Um, but... Uh, but if we're going to pray, and if we're going to grow in a prayer life that looks like Jesus, we're going to go to desolate places to pray, uh, we, have to, we have to learn some, some free-form prayer, some, some free-flowing prayer, some sustained prayer. Because um, the Lord's Prayer, like, how long does that take? 20 seconds? I mean, you could, I guess you could just say it over and over and over again. I guess you could do that for a long period of time. Some people refer to it as a template um, I don't always like hearing that because I'm like, it's way more than a template. Like just praying it by itself is fantastic. Uh, but I think you can also see it as a starting point. Like each line in there, right? Our Father, like, oh man, I could, hey, I could riff for a bit on just that one little phrase. Okay, I can pray on that one just for a little bit. You know, in heaven, like, oh man, I can pray some prayers or about, about God being in heaven. Uh, hallowed be your name. Yeah, God, he's holy. Like, uh, he's, rev- you know, to be revered, to be worshipped. You know, yeah, I can, I can riff on that for a bit. We've got to, we got to learn that. On, on a personal note for me, I do like praying with other people, and I find that most helpful. But praying by myself, I mean, I, mean, I, you know, I grew up praying and, you know, <laughs> lead a church. We lead, I lead church prayer meetings and stuff. But honestly, praying by myself still feels quite hard. Just want to be honest about that. I'm always uh, a little uh, impressed with people who just like, I just pray for hours on end. I'm like, that's great for you. Wish I could do that too. Uh, I will say sometimes are better than other times, um, you know, but it's, it's a struggle. I don't know, maybe I just have ADHD or something. I don't know, something's going on. Uh, but we've got to look at how can, we, how can we learn to pray like Jesus? How can we learn to, to in, the, in those early hours or prolonged periods in, in desolate places to say, I, I've got a sustained spirit of seeking God? So I think there are two main categories of prayer. 
right? There's spontaneous prayer, which is in the moment, uh, ad hoc prayers, and that's important to learn that habit as well. So like when, whenever we're facing something is to stop. When something pops up, you stop and you say, let's pray right now, right? You could do it yourself. You can do it when you're with other people. And it just takes practice, you know? Um, we we have, the, have the practice of what do you say when someone sneezes? Bless you, right? We know where that's from, right? Because people used to think people were demonized when they, when they sneezed. You know, that's the history of that. It's so dumb. Humans are so dumb. Someone sneezes, bless you, gets rid of the demon, didn't have a demon, they were just sneezing, that's all right. You know, we, we got over that one, but we still say bless you, we still say bless you. But the blessing is, it's a habit. We have a habit, right? It's automatic. Someone sneezes, bless you. Here's the habit of spontaneous prayer is uh, something hard's going on, tragedy, something, something difficult, I'm facing something. Sponta- it's a habit, right? It's, it's like uh, when hey, I'm looking in the mirror before I go to bed, what do I do? I brush my teeth. You know, it's a habit. I just do. I don't think about it. That's, that's the kind of heart that says, hey, something comes up. Let's pray right now. And it just takes a bit of repetition. And, and the more we do it, the stronger that gets reinforced. The more we grow into that, that habit, we reinforce it. But there's also the kind of prayer that is intentional. So the first type is spontaneous. The second type is intentional. And uh, this is premeditated prayer. And that can happen in so many different ways, right? We have church prayer meetings we do. Um, we can plan, you know, in our service. We'll, you know, our, our worship leaders, they'll plan to pray at different points. We'll be intentional about that. We'll say, hey, let's make sure between these songs, let's make sure we do a, a prayer about this particular thing or a scripture reading about this, something like that. Um, but this needs to happen in our personal lives where we're planning intentional time to seek God by ourselves. So let's look at three lessons on prayer from Jesus. Three lessons. First one is, is that we need to set a time. We need to set a time. So like anything in our lives, if we don't make specific time to pray, other things will use up that time. This is the battle of life, isn't it? If we're not intentional, if we don't come up with a little bit of a plan, guess what other people want to do? Guess what the world wants to do? Guess what every, all the other forces in our life will take away our time? And use up that energy. So things like prayer or worship or being in the Word, those are the, the three biggest ways we kind of commune directly with God. And so we need a specific time to do those things by ourselves. We don't just we can't just say like, oh, I just got to wait. I just got to hang on till Sunday to get my spiritual boost, or I just got to wait till I get around that friend, or I got to get on TikTok and watch some of those encouraging Christian YouTube channels. TikTok, YouTube, whatever, Instagram, Snapchat, I don't know. I don't even understand Snapchat. I don't even know what that is. It just sounds bad. I don't know. All right. Man, I'm, I'm getting older. I tell you, something happened to me. I'm getting older. Um, but we have to, we want to, um, we need to pick a time that's the least likely to be interrupted. And typically the most consistent thing is to make the first thing we do in the morning a time of prayer. It doesn't have to be that time, but in my experience, that's the moment of the day when no one's calling you, you haven't hopefully looked at a device yet, there's no emergencies happening, hopefully. And to be successful and consistent is not though just to pick a time, but to commit to that time. 
This is a hard thing is to, to commit to it. So sometimes we, we schedule things or we say, I'm going to do that or set a reminder, but our heart's not in it. This comes down to, so you've got to have a plan, but the plan doesn't matter if your heart's not into it. Let me give you a uh, uh, semi-related example in my own life to this. Um, Tuesdays, for me, are my sermon prep day. So I've done this for years now. I would, I would always get very stressed out about my sermons because, you know, it gets to Saturday and then later on Saturday and you're like, oh, no, I'm not, still not ready. And, and I was like, I've got to figure out how to make this less stressful for myself. So I, I was like, all right, I've got to figure out how to prepare my sermon in one day or less. And uh, I'm going to pick Tuesdays. So Tuesdays are my sermon prep day. I've done this for years now. While well, I'll knock my sermon out on a Tuesday, get it completely done. And so if people ask me, people want to meet or do a phone call or do something, something's going on, people are like, hey, you're free on this Tuesday. Not, unless it's a weird week, I'm not preaching or I'm doing something else. Uh, my automatic reaction is, no, I've got plans. I'm doing something. Sorry, can't do that. And uh, that's been my habit now for years. I'm busy. That's my rhythm. I'm unavailable on Tuesdays. And it's kind of ingrained in me. And that's what has to happen with intentional prayer in our lives is we say, well, I'm protecting this time in my life because it's how I connect with God. It's my relationship with God. Or it's one of the more intimate, direct times with God. Think about it. There are really only a few moments during the day, right? Like I mentioned, first thing is one of them. The other one is like in the middle of the day, if you get a break or something. And then the only other time really is, is kind of in the, in the evening sometime, like after you finish work, before finishing work and going to bed. I mean, it depends on your work and your hours and all that kind of stuff. But there's only like three obvious spots during the day. See, the first thing in the middle of the day or towards the end of the day. You've got to pick one of them. You've got to find a way to say, that, that's some time I'm going to get with the Lord, me, me and Jesus. Second lesson from Jesus here is we need a place. We need a place. So again, like anything important in our lives, if we don't know where we will do it, then it's less likely to happen. So we have a specific place, don't we, where we get dressed. You have a particular place you get dressed? Or do you just get dressed in lots of different places? <laughs> All right. Our clothes are in a particular place. So unless we move them somewhere else, then we're getting dressed in a particular place. All right, we have specific places we tend to eat food and where we tend to sit, right? And normally on a chair. You normally sit on a chair. Um, but if we don't know when or where we will pray, then it might mean that we aren't intentionally praying if we can't think of that, we can't name that. So we've got to pick a spot. Is it, is it I'm sitting on my bed or is it I'm walking around my living room, or is it while I'm driving to work, or I'm on the train, or is it at, dinner, at the dinner table, or is it a particular walking trail, or walking around my neighborhood block, or what, where, where is the location? Pick a spot, get specific with it. We also need a place of little distraction. That's why it's a desolate place, right? That's very helpful. There's nothing there. It's nothing, that's what the wilderness is. It's desolate. There's nothing there. There's, and there's, because there's so many things that crowd our minds. And we need to get away from all those things and leave our phones especially and leave the clutter and leave the unfinished tasks and to plan just to have our hearts and our minds focused on God and not on the needs of others. 
this place and this time needs to be consecrated. That's, that's an idea that I think maybe as modern-day believers that we struggle to get our minds around, that things are consecrated. That's a very, it's a very religiously sounding word, isn't it? The Old Testament talks about when they built the, you know, ancient Israel built the temple and they had all these items, these objects, and they were consecrated. It means that these things, we only use them in these religious ceremonies. That, that you don't just borrow them. It's not like, oh, I need a spatula, so I'm going to go get some of that, you know, that, that, that little religious item looks good for stirring stuff. You know, I'm going to go borrow it. It's like, no, no, it's no, no, no. We, just, we only use it for that because it's special for a relationship with God. And uh, obviously, you can get too, you know, you can get, um, people can get too religious about those things, of course, in a wrong spirit. But the time and the place, we need to consecrate those things. This is a special thing. This is something that uh, is set apart. That's what it means to be consecrated. This is set apart to prioritize the most important thing in my life. The third thing we learn from Jesus here is that we need to keep it simple. Because I was thinking about, as I was reading these passages here, I was like, man, I want to do a message on Jesus' prayer life and devotional life and how we can pray and be devoted. And I'm like, but it doesn't really say anything. Like it, it doesn't really tell you what he's doing. But I was like, wait, there's a point there, right? That um, we just keep it simple, right? It means we talk to God. It means we, 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 we share what's on our hearts with him. We, we give thanks to him. We can sing songs to him if we want to do that. Uh, we can read scripture. Whatever it is, it doesn't need to be that elaborate. It needs to be simple. We just... Uh, need to start telling God everything that's going on in our lives. And we need to learn to honor Him and to pray our needs to Him and pray for others' needs. And we can also pray for the power to be sustained in our prayers. That's a good hack. If you're like, if you, if you're like I just don't know how to pray or how to seek God or how to really pour my heart out to God, start with, God, I'm here. I don't really know what to do. Not very good at this. Little inexperienced, little awkward. Help me out. Help me out. Give me a boost. And everyone's different, right? So we need to learn to commune with God in the most intimate way that we can. It's like if you're, you know, relatives or family members, or if you're married, you, you begin to learn, or friends, you, different people have different love languages. And how, how can I find the greatest intimacy with the way I'm wired with my relationship with God? Personally, I, found, I find just sitting still is uh, not helpful. I've got to move around a bit. Um, I like writing stuff down. If you have a hard time focusing, writing out prayers, writing out your thoughts to God, very helpful. It's a good little hack that I found. Um, listening to the Bible as well. Sometimes people are like, ah, just, it's so hard for me to get into it. I just don't understand it. So the language is hard to manage. Well, you know what? There are apps that can read it to you. So you're looking at it and it's reading it to you. Figure out, get smart about it, recognize different ways uh, to do it, and also recognize that even a short time doing this, even five minutes, praying, thanking God, asking for a few things for yourself or others, reading some scripture, there is so much value in that. There's so much value in that. And in terms of being in the Word, in terms of getting into scripture for ourselves, because we do live in a very um, biblically illiterate time period and culture. Um, not for everyone, but that is common. I say especially in our neck of the woods. A lot of people don't understand the Bible and don't take the Bible seriously. Um, that's a real mistake. The Bible is how we know about Jesus. 
It's how God has revealed himself to us. So we can, and the danger is that you, if you only base your relationship with God on your subjective feelings and your su- subjective experiences of God, you're going to end up in all kind of error and all kind of problems. It's God, yes, there are, I mean, look, any relationship, there are experiences and emotions that you have that might be subjective. But the foundation of it has got to be built on God's word. So I want to I recommend to you a thing called a life journal, which we've talked about in the past at Trinity. It's a tool that equips Christians to read and study the Bible for ourselves. So you can find out how this works. You can go to try.church slash plan. Try.church. So write that down. Try.church slash plan. And then I'll explain to you how, do you, how, can you can, blah, blah, how you can use a life journal to go through Scripture yourself and actually learn from it and grow in your own relationship with God. So we've got to set a time. We've got to find a place, and we've got to keep it simple. And I think this should be a lot easier than trying to find that next uh, Netflix show that seems to be so elusive, like, which show do I want to watch next, you know? How long do you spend scrolling through trying to find the right show? You're finished with your favorite show, got to find another show. This should be a lot easier than looking for the next show. Now, Mark tells us that the reason Jesus got up early and went alone to pray was because he was eager to go to the next town. He says, this is the reason I came out. This is the reason I went to the desolate places. So he is going there to pray and be with the Father, but it's also he's getting ready to move on. And nobody around Jesus seems to understand this dynamic of what Jesus is doing. The religious elites of his day, they didn't understand it, but also Jesus' own disciples, they don't understand this. And so because they don't understand this, Peter intrudes into Jesus' prayer time. Because according to Peter and others, everyone was apparently looking for Jesus. Everyone's looking for Jesus. Unlike all of us, Peter has a habit of accidentally doing and saying the opposite of what should happen. This happens to Peter a lot. happens to us a lot. Peter is worried about the task. He's worried about the needs of people. It's the fear of man, the concern of man. But Jesus is focused on the concerns of God and the fear of God. And as a leader, I've, I've tried to practice this at times. I don't always get this right. Um, but, but when I do get this right, um, what I've noticed is you're not always popular as a leader. Because uh, sometimes we tend to think of, and I can even do this too with other leaders, you tend, we can tend to think of spiritual leaders that they, 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 they should be at our beck and call. And they should, you know, they're, they're, when I need them, they've got to be right there for me, right? But just to, if you didn't know, I'm not an ambulance driver. So, so I'm not on 24-7 call. We've got to get our expectations right, like Jesus had his expectations right. Christian faith is first upwards before it is outwards, And the reason we have a whole community of people here is so that different people can help each other at different times. I just want to be clear. I don't want to send a bad message here. I want to be clear. I will always make time for people, always make time to meet with people. It may just not fit into your calendar as much as you would like. That's the point I'm trying to make. And that should be true for any spiritual leader, any of our small group leaders or coaches in our church, anyone. My purpose, as for your purpose, like it is with Jesus' purpose, should be to fulfill the will of God. Number one, God sets my agenda. God sets your agenda, not people. So listen, 
We cannot let the expectations of others rob us of what our soul needs the most. Communion with God. We need communion with God. Discipleship does not consist of attempting to control God's work. Instead, it involves following God's Son. We say that again. Discipleship does not consist of attempting to follow God's work. Instead, it involves following God's Son. Now, what happened with our praying pastor friend, E.M. Bounds, the guy who prays for hours on end, and everyone's fed up with? Would he double down and fight for his convictions about prayer, or would he give in? Well, with a deep breath, Bounds made his choice. Not only would he continue his personal devotion to prayer, but that, uh, that day he preached fervently about the necessity of prayer. Prayer, he said, is the lifeline to the divine, the fuel for faith, the bedrock of spiritual life. He implored his congregation to not abandon prayer in the face of materialistic distractions. His sermon was met with silence. It's not good when that happens. And his heart sank. Had he failed? Well, the following week was filled with a lot of uncertainty for him. Bounds continued his routine of early morning prayer, seeking divine intervention. And then something remarkable happened. The next Sunday, the church began to fill up, slowly at first, then steadily. And to his surprise, his sermon had touched something dormant within people, and the word had began to spread. And his persistent belief in prayer and his willingness to preach on it had finally began to resonate with the people. And his story illustrates the power of prayer not just as a private spiritual practice, but as a transformative force that can awaken a whole community. His life is a testimony to the profound truth that even when faced with overwhelming odds, God responds to faithful prayer. God responds to faithful prayer. Prayer actually has more comeback power than a 90s boy band. If that doesn't motivate you, that's my best line. I don't know what could motivate you other than anything. Okay. E.M. Bounds, his, his impact is also seen through written books on prayer. He wrote nine books on prayer. And a few of those continue to inspire, challenge, and equip Christians to deepen their prayer lives and to seek God's presence. But let me finish with this. Don't forget this. In a similar way that Peter was pulling Jesus away from his intimacy with God, interrupting Jesus' devotional time with the Father. There are voices that tried to pull Jesus away from sacrificing himself for us, weren't there? Even in that great moment of honesty, before Jesus' crucifixion, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying and he prays, you know, can this, essentially, can this cup be taken from me? Can this burden of bearing the sin of humanity, can this burden be taken away from me? Moment of real humility, of real weakness, praying to God, God, can, can this burden be lifted from me? But then immediately saying, not my will, but yours, your will be done. Jesus in that moment was praying for us. He was praying for us. He's praying, and he was praying for your salvation. 
And he was praying for my salvation. Before his fake trial and his brutal, brutal crucifixion, thank God that his prayers were heard. In fact, Jesus is permanently praying for us. Let me end with this. Romans 8, 34. It says this, who, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And he died so that you wouldn't die and I wouldn't die. He is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. If we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to be those who are intercessors, those who are advocates, those who know how to plead, those who are persistent. You know how annoying a persistent person is? We need to learn to be super annoying in prayer and to continue to pour out our hearts in thanks, in reverence, in honor, seeking God for ourselves, for others, in gratitude, but also understanding that the temptations that Jesus had to be distracted from his mission of sacrificing himself for us, even in that moment, he prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus is praying for your salvation. And if you're already saved, he's praying for your sanctification. That sin that you're holding on to so closely that you can't quite let go of, Jesus is praying for its power to be broken in your life. And it can be broken. Jesus has the power to break it. And you know what it is. We make all kinds of excuses for sin, don't we? We justify it. We justify our behavior and our attitudes. We justify it, but Jesus is praying that you'll be free from evil. 